We've been in a sermon series for the last few months called Your Annual Spiritual. So many people have an annual physical every year, but do we take an annual spiritual when we think about uh, what we need to do spiritually to be the whole healthy people God wants us to be? Today we're ending that sermon series. We've been talking about the eyes and the ears and the heart and the feet and the hands. But today we talk about the whole body scan. We look at our whole body, and Paul's got a brilliant metaphor of the body that he uses to make a profound theological point that we need each other. These words of the Apostle Paul are distilled wisdom. If we would hear these words and heed them, we would have a different world. Listen for the Word of God. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot would say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as God chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with greater honor, and our less respectable members are treated with greater respect, whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior member, that there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, this is so simple, but why does it take the Apostle Paul's urging for us to live this out? We pray, O oh God, that we might hear a special word from you today that will hit every one of us right where we live and where we move and have our being, so that we might not leave this place as we came. We might be different people, inspired to live as part of the body of Christ. So to that end, pour through me today the gift of preaching, that these words might not be my words or human opinions, but by a miracle of your grace, these words might become your living word to us. And we know they will, O oh God, for we pray with anticipation in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. There is a seductive nature to sameness. We like to be with people and talk with people and have fellowship with people who, who think like us and act like us and are like us. There's a seductive nature to sameness. The Brookings Institute in Washington, D.C., a think tank, has thought a lot about this. And they've done a lot of research on it and often is published in the Wall Street Journal and other publications. But the Brookings Institute has done research about what they call landslide counties. 
that actually people come and they live in the same county and they tend to vote alike in that county. For example, a landslide county is a county in which there's a 20% disparity between voting for one candidate and another candidate. If it's more than 20%, it's a landslide county. Now, there's 3,100 counties in the United States of America. Back in 1980, when Jimmy Carter and Ronald Reagan were running for president against one another, 391 counties were called landslide counties. They had a 20% margin between the winner and the loser in that county. But do you know 40 years later, in 2020, there are 1,726 landslide counties, over four times as much, well over 50% of the counties in America are landslide counties. And what the Brookings Institute is figuring out is that we tend to live near people who vote like us and who look like us and who are like us. People who live near us have an awful lot in common with us. We are people who like sameness, the Brookings Institute is telling us. Well, the people in Corinth liked sameness too. There was a lot of divisiveness in the church, but it was really over a desire to have everybody be like I am or be like we are. So people in the church in Corinth, they would fight over theology. Some would say, I belong to Apollos. I like Apollos' theology. Others would say, no, no, I like the Apostle Paul's theology. And they'd often fight over theology. And Paul was trying to figure out, how can I say to them that they really need to get along with one another, that no one is always right and no one's always wrong? And then they not only fought over theology, they fought in Corinth, they fought over the gifts of the Spirit. Some people who had the gift of speaking in tongues would say, if you don't speak in tongues, then you're really not a believer. You shouldn't be a Christian. You're not called a Christian. Others would say, no, no, no. If you don't have the interpretation of tongues, you're not a Christian. So others would say, no, no, no. You need to prophesy. If you don't prophesy, then you're not a Christian. And Paul was pulling his hair out trying to figure out, how can I speak to these people and get them to realize that we're all on the same team. We're on Christ's team. It's not Paul and Apollos. It's Christ. And it's not that you have to have one gift or another gift. All the gifts are important in the body. And he found this metaphor of the body, which he borrowed from Seneca, a Roman uh, orator and the, actually the tutor of Nero, and from Plato 400 years earlier. And Paul borrowed this metaphor brilliantly because Plato and Seneca were both saying, in the citizenry, every citizen is important. Every citizen has a gift. Don't compare your gift to somebody else's gift. Seneca and Plato had this brilliant metaphor of the body when compared to the citizenry in, in Rome and in Athens and so forth. But Paul borrowed that metaphor to make a profound theological point that we are the body of Jesus Christ. Christ has no body on earth but ours. Don't compare your gift to somebody else's gift. And our great temptation, Paul would say, is to reject diversity in favor of sameness. There's something brilliant about diversity, Paul is saying. And unless we appreciate the diversity in the body of Christ, we really can't be the body of Christ. Now, we see this in the history of the church. So often throughout Christian history, one group thinks we're right and the other group is wrong. We saw this in the Reformation in the 16th century. There was a reformer named Thomas Munster in Germany who was convinced the only kind of baptism was believer baptism, adult baptism, and he, that was done by total immersion, dunking you under the water. 
But Helmut Zwingli in Geneva, Switzerland, and, and in um, other parts of Switzerland, he was saying that it was infant baptism, that the best baptism was sprinkling. And so they had this big feud. Now, not only did they disagree, but Munster and Zwingli thought the other one was a heretic, and frankly, that they should be excommunicated from the church. You see why Paul was pulling his hair out in the early church? Well, this continued all down through Christian history, even in the Reformation. Now, I like a woman named Phyllis McGinley. She's a humorist, a poet, but she writes humor and satire, and she, she makes her point with a tongue-in-cheek, but she wrote this little poem about Munster and Zwingli that captured the nature of this feud when both of them thought the other one was a heretic and should be excommunicated. I'll just read a little portion of this to you. Said, Munster, said Zwingli to Munster, I'll have to be blunt, sir. I don't like your version of total immersion. And since God is on my side and I'm on the dry side, you'd better swing over to me and Jehovah. Cried Munster, it's schism, this infant baptism. Since I've had a sign, sir, that God's will is mine, sir, then let all agree with Jehovah and me or go to hell singly, said Munster to Zwingli. And each drew his sword on the side of the Lord. Does this remind you of any controversies we have today? Everybody thinks they're right and the other one is wrong, whether it's about guns or abortion rights or voting rights or masks. One of the most, one of the most divisive things we can do in the church is to think we have it right and we have nothing to learn from someone else. So as we conclude this annual spiritual, I believe the Apostle Paul wants to make two important theological points for us at San Marino Community Church so that we might be the healthy body of Christ that God wants us to be. The first point Paul wants us to remember is that everybody in the church of Jesus Christ has a gift. But do not compare your gift to somebody else's gift. No one gift is more important than anybody else's gift. So the foot can't say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the ear to the eye, I have no need of you. Every gift is important. Every part of the body is important. And God arranged the body as God chose, sometimes giving the greater honor to the inferior part or the least respectable part, which the more respectable parts don't need. Now, it's interesting that since 2005, in the last 16 years, I've gotten a lot of miles on Delta Airlines and other airlines flying around America talking to congregations. And what I've been doing is really as a church consultant helping these congregations discover health. So often I go to congregations that aren't very healthy and they're fighting with one another and there's a lot of infighting and a lot of deep-seated conflict and often the staffs do not get along with one another. But I think it's good for me to point out that this San Marino Community Church and your staff is healthy. How do I know? Because I go to staff so often and you could cut the tension with a knife. I go into a staff meeting sometimes, whether it's North Dakota or South Dakota or Wisconsin, and there's a lot of tension. Well, the other day, Tuesday, I drove over here to San Marino to have a picture taken as a preacher in residence, part of the staff. Everybody was having their photo taken. As I walked across Virginia Avenue, there was all this laughter and all this kidding and all this joy. And I wondered, what's going on? Well, the staff was all congregating because everybody was having their photo taken. And they were laughing with one another. And there was good joviality and good fellowship. And it was wonderful to see the kidding and the joy and the high fives that the staff was giving 
giving to one another. And you know why that exists? Because there's no competition between each other. Bong Bringus has a gift, but Jessica Von Lower is not trying to be Bong Bringus, and Jessica's not trying to be Marilyn Manning or Skip Obermiller. Everybody's got their gift, but no one compares their gift to somebody else's gift. And Jessica Von Lower sets this tone of congeniality and everybody working together in mutuality, and everybody wants the other one to succeed. I'm telling you, it's very unusual, it's noticeable that the staff laughs together and they enjoy each other and they're kidding with each other. Everybody in the church has a gift, but don't compare your gift, it's very subtle, to someone else's gift. Tony Campolo is an internationally known evangelist. He's an author, a writer, a great speaker. I've had the privilege of meeting him and hearing him many times. He's a wonderful man. But years ago, when he was starting his ministry, he and his wife Peggy decided that that they would stay home with their two children, Bart and Lisa, and that Peggy would postpone her career so that Tony could be an internationally known evangelist and go all over the world. So uh, Tony was doing this, and, and they, one day at a party, Peggy was, was with Tony, and one day uh, a man said to Mrs. Campolo in a rather condescending voice, my dear, what do you do? And Peggy, you know, didn't work outside the home, so she said, I don't do anything, I'm just a wife and a mother. Well, after the, the evening, Tony said to Peggy, is that the way you feel, being a wife and a mother, is you doing nothing? She said, honey, I think being your wife and raising these two children is a phenomenal privilege, but sometimes when I meet other women and men at these parties and somebody's selling real estate or they're a lawyer or a dentist or a doctor, I don't know, I just feel a little inferior, and, and, but I think staying home with the kids is the right thing to do for this season, but I just feel a little, a little awkward. So Tony said, why don't you come up with something that'll help people know just how important your staying home with these kids really is. So the next time they're at a cocktail party, and a man said to Peggy Campolo, again, in a condescending voice, and my dear, what is it that you do? Tony heard his wife say, well, I'm nurturing two homo sapiens into the dominant values of the Judeo-Christian tradition so that they might be instruments for the transformation of the social order in the kind of eschatological utopia God envisioned from the beginning of time. And what do you do? And the man said, oh, I'm just a lawyer. Don't compare your gift to someone else's gift. Don't compare your stage of life or season of life to somebody else's season of life. Everybody's got a gift. The important thing is to exercise it in the season of life that you're in to the best of your ability. But don't compare your gift to somebody else's or your season to somebody else's because there are seasons of life when women and men need to stay home with the family. There's some in this congregation who are caring for an aging parent, and it's not easy, and they're living in the home with you. There's some who's had a wife or a husband who's got Parkinson's or the beginning of dementia or some illness, and they need more full-time care. There are seasons of life to do that. There are seasons of life to exercise your gift out in the community, in the world, in the church. But don't compare your gift to somebody else's gift. But in the church, we often get fighting about my gift is better than your gift or my theology is better than your theology. And we're ruining the body of Christ. It's the mutuality. 
It's the divisiveness that's killing the church. It's the unity when we can expect and admire one another and respect each other. That's what brings out the best in the body of Christ. Principle number one, everybody's got a gift, but don't compare your gift to somebody else's gift. Principle number two, diversity in the body of Christ is not only desirable, it is essential. We learned this this morning when we drank our orange juice. You can't drink orange juice with just four fingers, or it's very hard to do it. What you need is a thumb. It's the balance between the fingers and the thumb that allows you to grip the glass and pick up the orange juice and drink it. You can't do it with just, just uh, fingers. If the whole body were fingers, where would the whole body be? That would be terrible if the whole body were just fingers, that's all we had, or if the whole body were just thumbs. You need the balance between fingers and thumbs. Also, to walk into the sanctuary today or to walk into another room in your home if you're watching at home, you needed ankles and kneecaps and hips functioning properly. But you know what else you needed? And we don't think about this, an inner ear. We need an inner ear to have the balance. It's the brilliant balance of the diversity in the body that makes it possible for us to have a body and function. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing, Paul says. If everything was an ear, where would be the sense of smell? As it is, God arranged the body as God chose. And each, each kind of body is its own kind. But we need one another. This is a very important spiritual truth. The diversity in the body is essential. Now, I learned this in Tucson, Arizona. I'd learned it many times, but I learned it in a group in Tucson. I got a group of pastors together to make a three-year commitment, and they couldn't have been more diverse. There were 12 of them. They were theologically diverse. They were racial, ethnically diverse. They were denominationally diverse. They were diverse politically in every way you could conceive of. They were a very diverse group of 12 pastors in Tucson, Arizona. Andy was an evangelical. He was so far to the right. He, he was an evangelical. And there was a woman in the group who was so far to the left. She, we, we lovingly called her. She was so progressive and so social activist that we called her the Spitfire. So Andy was the evangelical, and the Spitfire was a progressive on the left. And they were often at each other's throats, but they learned to respect each other over the three years. One day, Andy, the evangelical, came into the meeting and said, you know, we've got a problem. My, my church is uh, getting involved with the community, and we, we do tutoring at a local school, and we provide food and backpacks every Friday for kids in the community because they're poor. Well, the school board's just voted they're going to close that school. They haven't voted, but it's a foregone conclusion they're going to close the school. And so the Spitfire and the others said, well, gee, Andy, that's terrible. And the Spitfire said, you know, Andy, I've respected you very much for your stand on this. I've respected the way that your church has really reached the community. I mean, it's phenomenal what you're doing with those kids. And she said, what are you going to do about this, Andy? He said, oh, I'm not going to do anything. We'll just abide by whatever the school board decides. And she said, well, you're going to have a protest. He said, no, no, that's, that's not our style. And she said, well, you know, it's, it's not right that the school board would close the school without at least hearing all the wonderful things that your school is doing. I mean, Andy's church provided food for these poor kids on the weekend, and a lot of these kids didn't get many meals on the weekend. They got their meals, hot meals at school, breakfast and lunch. 
But often on the weekends, they weren't getting hot food. And so Andy's church was providing food. And for many of those children, they provided free daycare for the brothers and sisters, the infants, so that the, kids, the older kids could go to that school. This church was providing a valuable service for that community. And the, the others in the group were upset that Andy was just going to kind of let this go. So the Spitfire said, I'll tell you what, Andy, your church is five times bigger than my church. If you will get 20 members of your church, a thousand members, to stand on the steps and tell the public what good things you're doing, I'll get 20 members of my 200-member church and we'll come and stand with you and we'll protest this vote of the school board. Andy said, could we call it a prayer meeting, not a protest? And so they did it. Andy got 20 members from his evangelical church. And the Spitfire got 20 members from her progressive church, and they stood together. But this is what they did. They opened with prayer for the school board, and they didn't pray that the school would remain open. You know what they prayed? That the school board would make a wise decision that is in the best interest of the community. Interesting. They sang patriotic songs. They sang Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a Wretch Like Me. They had people from that church stand up and say what it meant to them to tutor those children. The parents of the children stood up and shared what it meant to them to have their children get the kind of tutoring in math and science and reading they needed. But there wasn't a dry eye in the place when the children got up and they shared what it meant to them to get tutoring in math and science and English and reading. The press came and they covered the event. The school board read about it and there was a buzz in the community and everybody heard about it. And do you know that that school district in Tucson, Arizona, when the school board met to close that school, they said, we didn't realize what an impact this school is making in the community. We didn't realize the impact that church is making in the community and the school remained open. Now, here's what's interesting about this. Andy couldn't have done this without the Spitfire. See, she gave him the courage and the inspiration to stand up there, and she brought 20 of her members with her. And they prayed together and sang together. But the Spitfire, if she'd had a protest, they probably would have closed the school. But Andy had the wisdom to call it a prayer meeting. Don't you see? Social activists need evangelicals, and evangelicals need social activists, and Andes need Spitfires, and Spitfires needs Andes, and eyes need ears, and ears need eyes, and hands need feet, and feet need hands. But if we're all the same person, if we all think the same, and look the same, and act the same, we're going to miss being the body of Christ. And let me tell you, we are the only body Jesus Christ has in the world to change this world into the kind of eschatological utopia God envisioned from the beginning of time. And if we're not the body of Christ, who will be?